Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Cats at night. Now here's John Katsimatidis. This is Sean Katzmatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. Nobody can surpass us. You get news here that you can't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said to everybody, even the KGB listens to us to find out what's going on. Chinese intelligence. Yeah, Chinese intelligence. And in the studio with us, we have uh, uh, one common sense uh, Democrat. Uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Republican. A, uh, we used to be deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani and uh, Rudy Washington. Uh, rumor has it might be related to George Washington and uh, uh, also an independent, mm-hmm. an independent former FBI, uh, uh, how do you say? Assistant director in charge. Assistant director in charge of all of New, New York. York. He's a big deal. Uh, George Venizelos. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, on my side here, Lydia Serrani. And uh, I understand we have... Uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo coming on later on. That's right. We have Andrew Cuomo. So that, in addition to you getting out all the news, you get all the guests. Anybody who's anybody is on this show, Cats at Night. So we will be speaking with former Governor Andrew Cuomo. We'll also be speaking with Nick Howard, talking about what's going on overseas. And Dr. Mikolos, he's got all the latest breaking news on the medical front. Larry Kudlow as well. You don't want to miss that. But first on the line, we have Miranda Devine. She is a New York Post columnist, and she's a great investigative reporter. Miranda, I love her Australian accent. Yes. <laughs> Miranda Devine, welcome back to Cats at Night. Oh, thanks so much, Lydia and John and everybody. Great to talk to you. Uh, you had a super duper um, uh, column the other day um, about uh, the 51 intelligence officers that signed off on on uh, that uh, Trump was uh, no, that uh, the, there was no evidence there that Biden's uh, Biden's laptop was a, a good laptop that would look like Russian disinformation. That's what that was a gambit. Now, exactly. my question is, are, are these CIA guys that we depended on in the past, are they stupid or are they paid paid for? Well, they just decided, took it on themselves, that it was too dangerous for Trump to win election again. So they decided to interfere with the election. That's exactly what they did, because they knew that the New York Post story that we ran in October of 2020 from the laptop showing that Joe Biden had met with one of Hunter Biden's Ukrainian uh, benefactors from this corrupt energy company called Burisma. They knew that that was a bombshell, that that was just opening up the whole can of worms, which was the Biden family influence peddling operation that had been covered up. And so they desperately did not want that to come out. So they decided that they would put their thumb on the scale, 51 of them, including five former directors of the CIA, two acting directors, but pretty high level people, most of them ex-CIA people. And they came out and wrote this letter uh, that they thought was very clever, saying basically letting everybody 
have the impression that this was Russian disinformation, that this was just a Russian plot. And a couple of days later, of course, Joe Biden has his final debate against Donald Trump, and he uses that letter to get off the hook. He uses that letter to just dismiss any of the allegations that came up from our story. And uh, at the same time, our story was was suppressed, it was censored by big tech, the rest of the media didn't follow it up. In other words, Facebook uh, got rid of it, Twitter got rid of it. uh, Mr. Vine, this is Rudy Washington. (coughs) I I, I disagree with everybody else. Everybody yesterday was saying that Putin was angry because they were lying on him. I think Putin was laughing. Putin was excited. He got the president. He couldn't believe how dumb our CIA guys were. He got the president he wanted you know good and well he didn't want to see uh, Trump do a second term. So, I mean, he must have been rolling over laughing at us, you know, knowing that everybody talking was lying and he was enjoying it. Yeah, and but he's the benefactor. His point is, is well taken, though. What this letter did is gave the Biden's cover yeah. against one of the no, most definitely. important stories out there. Definitely. It suppressed Miranda's story. Definitely. Yes. Exactly. And and look, I think also that President Xi Jinping would have been laughing as well, because uh, obviously it's much better for, for our adversaries to have a weak president. And so that's they knew that Biden was weak and he was compromised. I mean, the millions of dollars his family has taken in definitely compromises him when it comes to Russia and China. And George Venizelos, what is your reaction? My reaction is, first of all, Miranda, I hope you notice that there's no FBI people on that list, right? For once. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, second actually, of all, there is one. There what? is one. A guy one out of 51 is not bad. He's a bad actor. Which, which one? He's a guy that was a longtime uh, CIA guy, and then he was flicked across. Where is he? Don Hepburn. Ah, he spent, he was... Uh, he was sort of, um, what do you call, seconded to the FBI for a while. Yeah, but that doesn't count. Um, first of all, I, 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 I really don't understand why they would put their reputation and their hard work to sign something like this. I think it's ridiculous. I, I really do. Damage them. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Them. Totally unprofessional, right, you know? George? And they were cute about it. You know, they just, you know, they basically yeah. said there was classic characteristics of, of yeah. Russian, and it probably was classic characteristics, so they probably weren't lying about it. But of course, the, the political spin on it made it all about um, the, the Hunter Biden case is, is, a, is a Russian hoax, and yes. obviously it's not, you know. And, and then, you know, obviously the investigation did prove that. So, so it's I, 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 I agree with you that. Um, this is so wrong that our government officials should never get involved in a political process, never. In my 24 years with the FBI, I've never seen us get involved as we have in the last, you know, five years. It's crazy. And it's why, wrong. Why has that happened? Why? I don't know. What's I don't know change? if it's a new generation that's there. You know, basically, let's say, let's face it, the, the agencies are, are uh, made up of, the new generation, you know, and maybe the way the new generation doesn't think like the older generation where, you know, cases should never be uh, publicized, never should never be politicized. And, and once you politicize, you, you lose the respect of the people. And that's that's what we can't have. It's bad for the country.
Yeah, terrible. And I think that the FBI's really its reputation is being damaged by all this politicization. It's almost it's as if Trump just broke everybody. Well, I, I think he, you know, I mean, I think he had a personal vendetta against the FBI, so he helped with that. But the second of all, you know, is it's a very, very small number of people um, in Washington, and I'm not going to say in Washington that mm. that may have. Uh, you know, politicized it, and it's and I feel bad for the rest of the FBI around the country that's working hard every day and has to deal with this BS, and it's it's not right. It's not good for the country either. Mm, no, it's terrible. I mean, I still I still can't. These people are supposed to be people that are loyal to America. Mm-hmm. Where America depends on these people. Mm-hmm. So I am I'm a, I am shocked. I'm disappointed. I mean, John, George, I, you've been in the federal in the federal government all these years. Yeah. You must be disappointed. Oh, extremely disappointed. It, it hurts. It hurts because you know a lot of people before me. You know, the different generations and, and FBI, for example, had had worked so hard to build this great reputation and have the trust of the people. And to have it being torn apart in such a short time by a very small number of people, it, it's hurtful. It's hurtful. And it's bad for the country because this country needs a strong FBI. And I want to keep saying that. It yeah, Miranda, how would, if, if you could give advice to the powers that be, how would you reform the FBI and resurrect its reputation? Because you know more about this than anybody. And the CIA, too. Well, I, I personally don't know, but the people that I've talked to and interviewed have very strong opinions about it who are experts, and they say at the very least that the FBI should be uh, cut in half and that its intelligence operations should be separate from its uh, law enforcement operations because at the moment it just it's, it's effectively works as a stars. I think you know, the FBI should be doubled and tripled. We need to protect our country. Not, no, not necessarily the 87,000 FBI, uh, uh, IRS. IRS agents. You know, we need more Border Patrol people. We need more FBI people to protect us against. We got 380,000 students, Chinese students in the, uh, in the universities. Yeah, but John, they're not doing that. They're not. They, the FBI should be down at the border, stopping terrorists coming in. What they're doing is they're they're raiding. Rudy Giuliani, they're going after uh, innocent Americans who were outside the Capitol on January 6th. You know, they, the FBI has become completely corrupted. I don't want to no. give it another penny. I think it should be completely stripped of money so that it gets back to basics. And I, I think well, that a lot of these people were patriotic, but they became deranged about Donald Trump. And I, they felt I that they had I think a few individuals, not the FBI. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, yeah, I mean I, I, to, to say completely, I mean, I, that, that's so far out of line. I mean, you're talking a very, very small number uh, that that work these certain cases you're talking about. I mean, the rest of the FBI is out there every day w- working cases and, and 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 doing a great job. So to sit there and say that the FBI is completely, you know, biased based on a couple of cases, it, it's totally ridiculous. And to even make those statements is ridiculous. It's not a couple of cases. I'm yeah, sorry, George. This is this has been a takeover of the FBI to do malign 
political work to act for the administration. No. And the fact that they've been allowed to do that by it's the bosses that did that. The, the bosses. Why aren't there? Why aren't there more whistleblowers? I'm sorry, I disagree with you. So, if people so are working like- inside the FBI and they know what it's doing, and they're not coming forward. I think no. they're complicit. No, I, I, I think you're talking to a few disgruntled people. I mean, to sit here and, and say, you know, the two or three cases you're talking about. And first of all, uh, their, their, job, their job is to investigate. It's That's what they have to do. Cases. They have to they investigate. Are going, they are going and raiding pro-life people, family people in their homes. They are yeah. raiding them. They are not going after the the Antifa. They're not going after the people who uh, bombed the um, the pro life centres. How do you know no. they're not going after them? How do you really because, know they're not? Because, they're, they're, they're investigating them because they haven't arrested anybody. They haven't raided anybody. But they're very happy to raid the anti-abortion activists who are just family people who go and pray outside abortion centres. They're quite happy to go and raid people who I've interviewed who went to the Capitol on January 6th and never set foot inside, they're quite happy to raid them. No, I'm sorry. The FBI has been taken over and the agents there are just doing what they're told. Miranda, I try to be the voice of reason. And I think the, there's a couple of very, very high up FBI people or Department of Justice people that are giving the orders. And when you when you have 17 years in the FBI and they tell you, if you don't follow our orders, you're going to lose your pension. Yeah. God help us. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and, and let's I, not, I, and let's I not forget Merrick that. Garland. The Justice Department sending, uh, they're going to go use, <coughs> use law enforcement to go after people who are protesting at school board meetings because of critical race theory? Don't forget exactly. that. That's right. That's a very good point. That's old news. Yeah. I mean, law-abiding Americans who just have the wrong political views, as in they're the people that Joe Biden hates, ultra-maga, he calls them. They're basically 75 million people who voted for Trump at the last election. They're the people that have the FBI has been sicked on, and Antifa nothing. I mean, yeah. we've had uh, so few prosecutions. Yeah. The FBI sent ten agents down to Bubba Wallace's garage to investigate a noose. And I like to I like to see who gave that order. Uh, Miranda Devine, we love you. You do a you great too. job for the New York Post, and you do a great job for all of America. And uh, you keep speaking out until we find the real guilty parties. Who is giving those orders? And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Terrific. Thank you, Thank John. You. Bye. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, the cavalry is coming. November 8th is coming. There's 16 days or 17, 18 days to the election. Uh, Larry Kudlow, what the heck is going on? I don't know if David Patterson is there, but wherever he is, he's shaking. He's shaking. He took the day off. Because I was going to tell him the reason the stock market went up 750 points today is because the cavalry is coming. Mm. Well, you you feel it's coming? You feel it, uh, uh, Larry? I, I do, John. I think that it's closing fast for the GOP. And I want to just say, we, the last couple of nights on our show, you know, Joe Biden is out there 
showing what a terrible leader he is, attacking oil companies, denying the fact that he is from day one tries to shut down fossil fuels. I mean, he really commits fraud with impunity. And even today, even today, he talks about how the deficit came down by $1.4 trillion, but he had nothing to do with it. It's all because the COVID emergency money has run out, okay? What he wouldn't say to the American people today is that all these spending bills has created $5 trillion in new borrowing and debt. And that's not my number. That's Maya McGinnis, uh, who was nonpartisan from the Committee uh, for the Federal Budget. And my point, John, is I I do not like to call presidents liars. I do not like that. I don't do it. I don't like it either, and I I try not to do it. Yes, I know. And, you know, because I've worked in the Oval a couple of times in my life. And but he just cannot get to the point where he will be honest with Americans. And what's happening here is people see through it. They see a guy who is not honest and they see a guy who will not be able to solve the problems that we are facing. And when he does these pressers, it does him great damage, okay? So inflation is the number one issue, and the economy is the number one issue, all right? Every poll shows that. And the Republicans have, like, 20-point leads on these things. And Biden will not square up with the American public, and it's killing them. And I don't think it's going to change. In fact, I think the Senate is going to be a big surprise I think you could be looking at um, 53, 54 Republican senators. The House, I know, but I think the Senate side is going to be a big surprise. Uh, I think the Senate, I think the Republicans, I think the American people are finally realizing what the heck is going on. I think there's a wake-up call. Uh, Rudy Washington, you wanted to ask something? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, Larry, we have two similar moments coming in the next two weeks. Um, One, the Fed, uh, is it going to be 0.75 uh, one full basis point. And then the second is the election. What impact? Well, Sorry. What impact will it have on the, on the market? Well, look, I think they'll do 75. I think they should have done a, a full point, get it over with. Nobody rip rip the bandaid off, right? Yeah, that's been my view. Um, you know, they were late. They should have started 15, 18 months ago, but they blew it. Just get it done. And then the faster they get it done, they get the inflation rate down, we can be poised for a decent economic recovery, uh, maybe not right away. But to hear, too, uh, regarding the election, um, Republicans, uh, I don't know what necessarily they can achieve, okay, because Biden will have a veto pen. But I know they can stop the bad stuff. So So they can stop the 87,000 IRS agents? Well, that's tricky because that's in the bill that just passed, the so-called misnamed Inflation Reduction Act. Um, By the way, there's a very bad story out today. 30 million IRS files were destroyed, and they won't tell people. Yeah, 30 million files were destroyed. Uh, Kevin Brady... And Jason Smith in the House have been trying to get hearings on this. They can't get them. Uh, There was a memorandum 
describing this process that the IRS will not share is probably the single most unpopular part of this uh, IRA bill. Uh, I had Don Balduck from New Hampshire on. He's, he's, by the way, about to beat Maggie Hassan up in New Hampshire. And this uh, IRS story is a terrible story. But, they, yeah, they destroyed 30 million files. God knows what's in those files or why. And there's no backup? Uh, I mean, doesn't the federal government have backup all the time? Well, you know, the, the answer to that is they should. The answer to that is cloud services should be able to retrieve that, but apparently not, John. I, I don't know all there is to know about this story, but apparently not. And so they're trying to get hold of the memo to describe what they did, and the IRS will not release the memo. It's a very, very bad What kind story. of files are they? Well, what, are you, what are they hiding? Well, these are all important questions. And because I've been through this, and I remember the whole Lois Lerner business back in the uh, Obama days. Yeah. Uh, one suspects, one suspects. I have no proof, okay? I'm, I'm just hypothesizing. But there's a lot of things in there going after conservative nonprofits and things of that sort that Lois Lerner was run out of town on. But the point is they won't share it. Mm-hmm. So this is not an even-handed IRS. This is part of the deep state. It's a very bad story. And, you know, when you you talk to folks, I mean, 87,000 more agents for 80, uh, $80 billion uh, is a crazy <coughs> thing that they're embarking on. Utterly crazy. Larry, I mean, we're going to be a third world country if we don't straighten this out. Well, that's the thing. You know, Americans know something's gone badly wrong. They know that. They know the economy has gone badly wrong. Inflation has gone badly wrong. Energy has gone badly wrong. Food prices has gone badly wrong. But here's what they're learning. And it's, it's really coming down. I mean, every time Biden goes out with a press conference, they know that this president is not the guy to solve it. So there is a, in my judgment at least, there is a tremendous crisis of confidence in Mr. Biden. And I don't think he will ever recover from this crisis of confidence. And one reason for that, John, look, you are a brilliant businessman and you always talk about common sense. If something goes wrong, what do you do? You admit it, you make a game plan to change it and fix it, okay? But if you don't admit it and you don't own it, then nobody ever gonna believe you that you can possibly change it and fix it. And that's the impression that President Biden is leaving. He's in denial about all these things. And he won't uh, and, and nobody believes he's the guy to solve the problems. And I think as much as inflation and other things, it's this crisis of confidence in him that is a big factor in this election. So people will want to elect a Congress that will be a check and a balance. So we will not have to continue along the wrong path. I, that's my reading of this story right now. We need checks and balances in Washington. Things are bad. Uh, it's just we need to have the American people have confidence in our justice system, our law yeah. enforcement system, our borders. Yeah. I mean, we need confidence. Yes, we, we need got confidence. a minute left, Larry. Tell me, tell us about the markets. Uh, how do you feel? I, I look fundamentally in the short run, John. I don't like them. I think the high interest rates are going to take a toll. I think even though earnings, by the by, have come in decently, I don't think that's going to last. 
Um, some of these regional Fed manufacturing surveys look very bad. Uh, the housing story, which you talked about months ago, is in deep recession right now. But I am interested. It's a little bit of fun that I'm having. Every now and then you get these 750-point days. It's probably short covering. But I think that people want to be optimistic about the elections and that the elections will represent some positive changes. So long run, I'm still my Kudlow optimist. Short run, I don't know. Keep your powder dry. Well, I am praying praying for our country, our cities, our states, our country, and, and I'm praying for the world. Larry Cudlow, I want you to have a great, uh, relax, a great weekend this weekend. And, and Larry's on every uh, Saturday, number one show on Saturdays between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock in the afternoon on WABCRadio.com, 770 on a dial, on your iPhone, 77WABC app. And you could hear it worldwide in <laughs> Solar System, too. Can I get Larry's um, reaction to one thing? Yes. What do you think about Lee Zeldin and Hochul now neck and neck? And now she's changing her messaging. She now just put out an ad about crime. I know we only have a minute left, but I, I know you're passionate about this subject. I am. And Lee Zeldin's going to be the next governor of New York. It's way too late for her. She's running scared. Everybody sees that. She's not to be trusted. She'll never follow through. She won't take on the socialist left in her party. Zeldin is a fine person with character and truthfulness, and it's all shining through, and I love the way he's finishing. I love it, Lydia, and I'm very bullish on it. Thank you. uh, Thank you, Larry Kudlow. Have a great weekend, and I'll be listening to you tomorrow. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Nick Howard. He is the CEO of the Queen Elizabeth II September 11th Flower Garden. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Nick, welcome back. Very nice to to talk to you, John. How are you? I am good. And I remember the night that you talked me into, before he was prime minister, you talked me into having a cocktail party for Ross Johnson. And uh, now he's gone, but maybe he's going to come make a comeback. Give us your evaluation. What the heck is going on in in Great Britain? Well, it's a, a very unusual, almost historic situation. The prime minister... Elizabeth Truss has been, well, she has resigned, effectively forced out by her own party after only 45 days in office. And that is the shortest prime ministership in 300 years. Uh, So it's a very unusual set of circumstances. Now, um, the prime minister in the UK, that's the equivalent of the Speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States. And the party with the most seats, Uh, gets to have the prime minister in position, and they control the House and legislation. Now, in 2019, the Conservative Party of Great Britain had the majority, led by Boris Johnson, and they won a very big majority. He was the leader of the Brexit exit effort, and he got a lot of votes in parts of the country, the north of the country, that don't normally vote for a Conservative. But he got them to vote for him and won a big majority. Now, the, the term for the prime minister and for the part between each general election is a five-year term. But in 20, this summer, in July 2022, um, only three years into the term, Boris Johnson himself was forced to resign again by his own conservative MPs as a result of their sort of dissatisfaction with his leadership. There was then a 
leadership election that went on for about three months, the whole summer, and eventually Liz Truss uh, beat a gentleman called Rishi Sunak, both conservatives, to become the leader of the party. So what happened? Why did it she only last 45 days? Well, she basically ran against Mr. Sunak on reducing income tax by 5%, uh, which would have cost about £30 billion. That was not supported by spending cuts, so that was a, a problem. They had to find $30 billion, and they would have to go to the bond markets to find the $30 billion. Now, on top of that, as we all know, during the summer, there's been a lot of problems in Europe with the price of gas going up because of the Russia-Ukraine war. And in the UK, household gas prices over the last three, four months went up at probably four to five times. So a normal household in the UK probably pays about $1,000, about £1,100, uh, $1,100 a year for heating the house, heating their homes and, and, and using gas for cooking. And now they're looking at over £5,000 a year, which is beyond the capacity of many of the British households. Mistrust decided because uh, of this problem, remember she has to fight an election against the Labour Party in two years, decided to subsidise everybody's gas bill, which in turn looked as though it was going to cost about $50 billion. So um, all of a sudden, the markets were looking at having to find $80 billion to cover uh, the income tax cut and the gas subsidy. And um, you know, the markets uh, rejected this. Um, uh, Mr. Truss really effectively has only been at the wheel for about... Uh, you you mean that Great Britain is, is cheap over uh, $50 billion? I mean, Washington writes a trillion here, a trillion there. It doesn't mean anything. Well, it's, it's pretty easy to, uh, to uh, borrow a lot of money when you're the world's reserve currency, John. That's what we found out. That's why there's a $30 trillion deficit. And as of yet, the markets have let that happen. But in the U.K., we don't have the U.S. Uh, we don't have the reserve currency, so we can only borrow a certain amount. There's been a lot of borrowing, as there has been in the U.S. over the last few years, particularly to cover uh, subsidies uh, during the COVID period. What is, next, what, what's the debt now uh, for England? Well, it, it's nowhere near 30, 30 trillion, but it, it's still substantial, given the size of the economy. And that's really the issue. It's the size of the economy. It's, it's reasonably high. Not, not ridiculously high, but what the markets really didn't like was the fact that there was no attempt to find spending cuts. And uh, you know, the other problem was the prime minister had only really been at the wheel for about three weeks. Because as you remember, the last time I was on your show, John, we were dealing with the death of the Queen and uh, Prime Minister Truss uh, had only just been sworn in, the 15th Prime Minister under the Queen. So in three weeks, when she revealed her uh, plan to subsidise the gas prices and the income tax uh, and do it very quickly without really submitting it to the budget office for any sort of work approval or just adding up the numbers, um, all that she tried to do that far too quickly, it would seem, for the markets. And uh, there was a, a sharp drop, both in sterling, the currency, the pound went from 120 to 103 very fast, which is a, uh, we, a very, we, we we have to go to thing. another call. Tell us bottom line. Who who okay. do you think is going to be the next uh, prime minister? What? Bottom line, we'll know by this time next Friday. It's going to be between Rishi Sunak, the ex 
the Chancellor and Boris Johnson. There is a third candidate, Penny Mordaunt, a very promising young MP. It will come down, I'm sure, to a vote at the membership level. 160,000 members will vote on who is going to be the next Prime Minister of Britain next Friday. If you had a, a dollar bill or a $2 bill to put on a bet, what would you bet on? It's going to be extremely close. I, my money would narrow would narrowly be on Boris Johnson to win. I, I agree close. with you. I don't think I think I don't think he did anything wrong. You know, he he, he didn't tell the truth about having a, a, a party, and that's too big deal. If we got rid of anybody in Washington that wasn't telling the truth, <laughs> there'd be nobody there. We, we would have nobody left in Washington. Well, yeah, that's very, very much. I would agree with you. Uh, Mr. Sunak is a very capable young man. Boris Johnson is almost in a league of his own in terms of a charismatic leader. And he's never been beaten in an election. And that's why the membership will support him, I think, just in front of Mr. Sunak. But it'll be very, very close. And, uh, you, um, you know, just bear in mind that Johnson has won two, the mayor of London twice. He won Brexit and he won a general election. Absolutely the third time would be better. I promise. Third time may be a charm. Yeah. Nick, Nick Howard, thank you. Have a great weekend. And we pray. Hey, look, we, we love America, but we also pray for Great Britain. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. And now, breaking news, what do we have? Breaking news, WABC. With us today is uh, former Governor Andrew Cuomo, and he's got some breaking news. I understand you, uh, you have a new podcast. Uh, good to be with you, John. Yes, I do. It's called As a Matter of Fact. Uh, you can download it on Apple. Uh, <clears throat> Apple. And uh, I'm very excited about it. You know, the politics has gotten so crazy in this country. Not as crazy as Britain, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's gotten so uh, fundamentally uh, corrupted, you know, where literally democracy is in peril. People don't trust elections. They're storming the Capitol. Uh, and what I want to do is have a... Uh, sober, fact-based conversation first. You know, the most controversial issues, if you can get people to agree on the facts, you make a lot of progress. And if you don't have an agreement on the facts, you're never going to make progress. And we have an extreme right in this country that is pulling the Republican Party further to the right. We have an extreme left that is pulling the Democratic Party uh, further left to the edge of the universe. And the moderate, reasonable people are nowhere in the, in the mix. They're not even in the game. And they're disgusted at what they see. Uh, so that's, that's what the podcast is all about. And I, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, we, whether you're Republican or whether you're a Democrat, it's all about middle America and what we stand for. And you know how we end this show usually every day? Truth, justice, and the American way. And, and and we love America. Tell us about the crime in New York. I can't believe that Albany is not doing anything about the crime. Well, look, first of all, cities in general are in trouble across the country, John. It's not just New York. Uh, COVID changed the rules, right? A city was a city because that's where you went to work. Uh, first, you went to the factories, which were near the rivers. Then you went to the office buildings. 
So with COVID, you don't have to go to the office. Uh, you can stay at home. Well, uh, then why don't I uh, put my home in a state that's warmer, you know? Uh, so it's it's changing the fundamental economics for cities. Uh, second of all, you have a crime problem all across the board on cities and in New York City. And not just a crime problem. You have a homelessness problem, quality of life problem. Uh, the city feels like it's deteriorating. And if it feels like it's deteriorating, it will deteriorate, right? It's a downward spiral. Uh, I think uh, we're, we're in many ways paying the price for what we did, not just in New York City, but other cities, uh, the defund the police movement. Do you remember a year and a half ago, two years ago, defund the police? I couldn't believe cut that. New York, yeah. You know, New York I, you know where budget. I come from? I come from Harlem. I don't know anybody in Harlem that would want to defund the police. No, there is nobody in Harlem. There is nobody in the housing projects. The victims of crime tend to be in the poorer communities, tend to be black and brown. Uh, it, it, it's them we're talking about. It's the, we used to call them the limousine liberals who have a theory, uh, defund the police. The limousine liberals already moved to Florida. They moved to Florida or they're in their uh, apartment in Manhattan with a doorman downstairs. So they're not worried about it. And I understand those two, those companies, some of them are hiring their own security besides a doorman. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. But that's where it started. They defund the police. Police are bad. We don't need police. New York City, I think, cut one billion dollars from its police budget. Look, the last time the city was in this situation, remember what happened. Uh, mayor David Dinkins came in, uh, liberal mayor, beautiful fellow. What did he do? There was a crime problem. He went to the state. They did the Safe Streets, Safe City program. Hired like 6,000 new police officers. Increased the number of police officers on patrol by something like 50 percent, John. Uh, that was the answer, putting more cops on the street. And by the way, Mayor Dinkins did it. You started to see crime come down, but it really had its full impact under Mayor Giuliani. And Mayor Giuliani, we give credit for cleaning up the city, and it did happen. Uh, he did make progress uh, under his administration. But Mayor Dinkins had started it by hiring more police. I officers. remember that. We were, me and you were there and uh, we were all there and uh, Judge Weinberg sitting in the... Uh, Judge uh, Weinberg sitting here having uh, a stroke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judge. Uh, and uh, we, we got about a minute left before we have to go to a break. Uh, tell us uh, what do people have to do to feel safe? I, 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 I spoke to Governor Hochul last week uh, and I said to her, there's 3,000 uh, violent criminals, but repeat violent criminals, violent criminals that have created crimes two, three, four, five, six times. And if, if the police commissioner that was on this show said to me that if we took those 3,000 people off the streets, New York would be safe again. Look, I think... Uh, going back to what we did with Mayor Dinkins, we did it. It's a 180 degree turn, right? 
uh, police, responsible police, reform-oriented police, but you need more police. And we need to be able to say, look, we are a progressive city and we are a progressive state. And we did legalize marijuana and raise the age of criminal liability. Uh, and we believe in giving people a second chance. But you also have to keep people safe. Uh, and dangerous criminals need to be in jail. Both things are consistent. And our attitude is police are bad, defund, uh, and now you're paying the consequences. If it gets worse, you're going to see more people leave the city. The tax base comes from the top one, two, or three percent of taxpayers. They can now go to Florida because of COVID and come back once or twice a month to do business. That's when we're going to have a real problem. And they're going to stay out of New York for 186 days a year. Well, John, one point. Remember, everybody's grandparents lived in Florida. Why? Yep. Because you you went there when you retired. Yeah. Now you don't have to wait for the warm weather to retire because you can work from home. That's what's happening. You're right. Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo, thank you for your comments. And tell us about the podcast one more time. It's on Apple, Andrew Cuomo, uh, on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. I'll be listening. And uh, what's your first podcast? What do you talk about? First one, I have Anthony Scaramucci and I, Mark Penn and, we're, and Elaine K. Mark, and we're talking about how the Republicans have been pulled to the right with abortion and guns and marriage equality and how the Democrats are getting pulled to the left uh, and the reasonable middle, uh, the, the place of compromise is lost. Common sense has to prevail. Thank you so much for everything you've done and, and continue to speak out. God bless you and have a great weekend. God bless you, too, John. Thank, Thank you. you for everything you do for this city and state. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, uh, calling in from uh, uh, Staten Island, we got Eric Schuffler from the Staten Island uh, uh, Ferry Hawk Stadium. Uh, Eric. Christine Nicholas yesterday was talking about all the great things that are happening. Tell us what's happening. It is amazing, John. Um, it is. I sent you some pictures earlier. They have created dozens and dozens of these Chinese lanterns that light up on the field. Uh, we've got hundreds and hundreds of people outside the stadium waiting to come in for the first opening night. It's the first part of taking a baseball stadium and making it into New York City's newest and greatest entertainment venue. It's, it's pretty amazing here at the stadium tonight, John. And it's not even once the, uh, it gets dark yeah, and everything's lit up that's on the Staten field. Island, that Staten Island uh, facility, you're making into a, a, a facility for all New Yorkers. All New Yorkers, borough-wide, you know, with the fast ferry here and the regular ferry coming right to the stadium, the Empire Mall outlet is parking right next to us. For this Winter Lantern Festival, John, they're expecting to get 100,000 visitors to the stadium over the next three months. It's every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 5 to 9.30. Tickets are on sale at Winter Lantern Festival. For Thanksgiving weekend, John, they told me today, they'll expect 12,000 people a day to come here. They're all coming here from all five boroughs to Staten Island, you know, spending your money, having a great time, and seeing what this stadium's about. And they're going to come back to watch our Ferry Hawks play, and that's really exciting. Well, 
Well, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing the, uh, uh, the that event. I understand it's beautiful, and you sent me some pictures from it. And uh, I'm looking forward to going to Staten Island to the uh, the stadium there and uh, and seeing it. Uh, tell people how they get there real fast. You can take the ferry, the Staten Island ferry, take it right across, and it's we are literally a 60 second walk. Or New York City EDC has a new fast ferry that comes from. Battery Park and the Upper West Side. Or they can just drive here and they can park in the Empire Outlet Mall. And if you park there, you get 10% off having a drink or uh, food at the, at the restaurants there. So it's a great way to bring the family, see these amazing lanterns, celebrate culture, and go have a drink and some food with your loved ones. Well, my, my kids are getting older, but uh, I think they want to come too. And the website is winterlanternfestival.com? Correct. WinterLanternFestival.com. Eric Schuffler, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch up real soon. I will. Everyone was asking for you, John, so they're eager to get you here in person and see you. There are huge fans of you and WABC. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, somebody has to work. I'm working. <laughs> Take care. I'll talk to you every week, and have a great weekend, all. You too. And uh, right now uh, we have... Uh, Dr. Peter Mikolos, our WABC resident medical genius. Science and medicine. He knows everything. He knows everything about everything. Dr. Michalos, what do you got to report today? Well, I used to tell my classmates in medical school, they used to ask me, why don't you have a medical dictionary? And I said, because it's all Greek to me. So uh, (laughs) when you know know Greek, actually, it helps a lot with the root words of science. But what some of the interesting things that are happening are we're seeing increased number of cases of something called respiratory syncytial virus in children, which is almost like a type of a viral pneumonia. And as we go into dry indoor air, and one of the things, remember when we were young kids, they used to put on the humidifiers and having some humidity in the air in children's uh, bedrooms using a cool mist humidifiers and uh, keeping what's called a hygrometer, which tells you the percent humidity when you have a humidifier. It actually helps people with dry eye. For our listeners out there with dry eye, that's one of the things people don't think about. How, how high should the humidity be to be called uh, normal? Well, what happens is when it goes below 50% in the winter, especially in like apartments in Manhattan or places where people who have fan-forced hot air, you tend to get sick more. Um, when we go outside and we get hit with dry, cold air, that's why we catch a cold, because when your mucous membranes and your sinuses and your nose are dried out, viruses and bacteria more readily enter. That's one of the reasons why people get more sick when they're flying on airplanes uh, and uh, they desiccate airplanes and dry the air. The reason is because you don't want humidity in a plane because humidity causes rust. Rust causes metal fatigue and structural failure. And that's why people you see sometimes at the beginning of flight taking out their contact lenses and you get very dry, but you also get more sick because viruses and bacteria, they enter the sinus system more readily when things are dry. And that's why having a little humidity is helpful. That's one of the advantages of the Boeing Dreamliner, which is carbon fiber line, because you can actually raise the humidity in a carbon fiber line plane so that people get actually it's been reported that people get less sick catch less colds when they fly transatlantic on these carbon fiber planes but now which number boeing is that do you remember is that the 787 is that flying already 787 yeah yep i I never fly commercial so i don't know 
No, I know, but but it's just interesting that humidity plays a role in disease. And for your children this winter, if you control the humidity, those with dry eye, dry mouth, dry skin, it's something that uh, just making our listeners aware that humidity plays a role. And when you have, for example, dry eye, don't have the defogger and the uh, air conditioner in the car blowing directly at you. And that's why sometimes people get sick when they have air conditioning blowing directly at you. It's an indirect way of getting sick because it dries out the mucous membranes and especially with little kids you know they have babies near like a radiator for example or a fan forced hot air duct it's not the best thing but a little ten dollar hygrometer which tells you percent humidity can help you stay healthier in the winter and uh and help you resist viruses and just like the kobe university study showed with covid in dry air the virus can be testing for 26 feet have a great weekend and I understand you're calling in again on Sunday and you're going to talk about what on Sunday? Oh, we're going to talk about advances in stem cells, inflammation, and the importance of good hygiene. And what do we stand for, guys? Truth, Truth justice, and the American, American way. God bless America. God bless the world because we need God's blessing. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.